Well, good morning and welcome to Sunday School. Hopefully, uh, if you're watching this, it's somewhere around 9.07 in Hickson and you figured out that I'm not there today. Uh, I am in Clearwater, Florida with my family. We've been on vacation the last couple of days and we'll be here a few more days. And thought we'd take this opportunity to use a little technology and teach a video lesson this morning. So I'm recording this Saturday afternoon and we are recording from the balcony of our hotel room uh, so there's our view and we wish you were here but if you were uh, there wouldn't be enough room for all of us to fit in the hotel room so uh, too bad for you but uh, appreciate you all and your flexibility uh, having me able to do these types of things uh, so that I continue to teach uh, but also rest as well so i'm going to be reading off a screen this morning uh, but hopefully this won't be too distracting for you so We'll start off each week as we normally do. This is week 29 of our Roman series. And we want to make sure that we do our gentle uh, review and reminder to make sure that we're doing our Bible study time uh, as we should, starting off with the Word and the Holy Spirit, uh, staring at the text, uh, talking to other believers, and then moving into tools. And I think today you'll probably see a dramatic lack of tools from me. Uh, and hopefully that's something that we've picked up on as we've gone through Romans. So on the next slide, we'll look at what we're going to be doing in Sunday school today. So we're going to read the text, we're going to explain the text, we're going to apply the text, personalize the text, and then have our table prayer time. Uh, right now, we are in the fifth major section of Romans, uh, dealing with righteousness uh, as it pertains to the Jews. Paul is really focused on his conversations with the Jewish people here. And we've gone through the introduction and righteousness introduced. Uh, we looked at righteous wrath, uh, saving righteousness, uh, some big long section on righteous freedom, and uh, we're about two-thirds of the way into our righteousness to the Jews section today. We'll finish up with this section sometime around Labor Day, and then we'll move into a longer section on righteous living uh, that'll take us really toward the end of October. So today's text is Romans 10 verses 5 through 21, and it's the third major part of this section. Now last week, when we looked at this text, we did a lot of looking up uh, verses in the Old Testament, kind of making sure Paul was quoting things properly uh, from the Old Testament. And once we saw that he did, and he was doing this fluently and many, many times, uh, what you begin to see is Paul using his Old Testament knowledge to benefit the New Testament listeners and see exactly where they are and see how uh, God's really been telling one long story and it's not something brand new but the revelation of something that is very, very old. So today we're gonna to look at uh, this text entitled, The Message of Salvation to All. And Paul really crystallizes what the response to the gospel is in today's text. So let's start reading in chapter nine, verse one, and we'll read all the way through the end of chapter 10, and then we'll talk about verses uh, five through 21 today. So let's read Romans nine, verse one. So I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But 
Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And this means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and it is nothing either good nor bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she, Rebekah was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And you will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, and even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people I will call my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All right, so that's today's text. And as we've done each week, the concept here that we're looking to do each week is that Bible study is about asking and answering questions. So let's ask some questions. So are there any literary or structural observations? So we did a lot of this last week. We looked up those Old Testament passages that Paul referenced here in this text, and we made reference, and we made reference, and we made reference, and we saw that none of these ideas is a new idea. All of these ideas are rooted in the Old Testament and fleshed out, revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, so that's a beautiful thing because this is not as if Paul is preaching something brand new that's never been heard of before. He's preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's walking people through what a proper response to the gospel is and who the gospel is for. And it wasn't necessarily for who the Jews that he's preaching to here thought it was for. It was for the Jews and for the Gentiles. So before we jump into really the this week two concept, let's introduce a new Bible study tool. And on your tables, there should be a page with a great big circle on it. And on the screen as well is a, uh, a page with a great big circle on it. Uh, actually, not on the screen. I'm on the screen. So on your handout is a page with a great big circle on it. And this is basically the preposition circle. We'll just call this the, the preposition circle. So the words in italics are the Greek words, and the words in non-italics are the most common definitions for the Greek words. And the lines connected to each word, whether they go around or through or in or out or above or under, illustrate the relationship that that word has to the circle. So a bit of a math concept, but at the same time, it helps you visualize some of the words that we're going to see in today's text. Because if you get these prepositions mixed up, you can radically change the meaning of what we're supposed to do with the gospel. So I'll give you a couple examples. So at the very top uh, is the word ana, and then hooper, and then epi. So the third word down is the word epi. It means upon. It means to set upon, to rest on top of. So you see how that line rests on top of the circle. It's, it's tangent to the top of that circle. So it rests on top of and then you see the word east, the word into. So you kind of come down and down and down uh, and over on the left-hand side of that uh, circle, you see the word east and it's got a, an arrow going into. So the idea here is there's something outside and you're going into. So very, very simple. It just means to move into a thing. Now, you'll also notice that dia is there. We talked about dia going through the circle. Uh, and I have stressed many times that it goes through the center of the circle. Dia doesn't technically have to go through the center, but it does need to go through the thing that it's focused on. So if we talk about salvation goes through Jesus Christ, whether does it go through the left side or the right side, or the, it, it doesn't matter. It goes through Jesus Christ. So it's going through. This is a, a very important concept to get. So, so as you study uh, different portions of Scripture and as you see these prepositions, just be aware that there are some tools that really help. So our preposition circle is going to help. Uh, and this is from uh, Dana and Manti's Manual Greek Grammar, uh, Manual Grammar of the Greek New Testament. All right, so we're going to reference back to that a couple times as we go through today's text. 
Uh, but let's look at what do the words mean. All right, so verse 5. For Moses writes, the words grapho, he just needs to write down. He's talking about Leviticus 18.5 here, about the righteousness that is based on the nomos, the law. That the person who does, who is actively working the commandments, shall live by them. And if you think about that for a second, do you want to live by the commandments? You really don't want to live by the commandments. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith, the Greek word is pistis, the righteousness based on faith says that do, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because there's a really critical portion that I want you to understand. And, and Paul is laying out all of salvation in this book, in this letter to the Romans. And if you think about the reality of what he is doing and the complexity of the arguments and how he's moving from the simple and the, the you are condemned and God is angry to Jesus Christ comes and he pays the penalty for that sin. He assuages God's wrath. God's wrath is poured out on Christ at the cross and we can have a right relationship with God and have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of arguments going on here. But Paul doesn't make the focus of the gospel heaven. He makes the focus of the gospel God. And I want us to make sure we understand that. So we are 10 chapters into this book, 10 chapters in, and this is the second time Paul has used the word heaven. And both times are really more in reference to where God is than this is the end goal or the, the end game of the gospel. So, so as we think about communicating the gospel and as we think about how we pitch or describe or evangelize to others, let's please make sure that we focus on the thing that the Holy Spirit focused on, which is right relationship with God, not necessarily heaven. Heaven's a great thing, but this would be the equivalent of us coming to Clearwater, Florida and saying, we're at the beach. Isn't this awesome? But right in front of the beach, there's a road. Do you see the road? The road is incredible. The road is absolutely amazing. Like it is freshly paved. It is black. It's got these lines down the middle. It's amazing, right? And it's even got these places that you can park on the side. You can park on the side of the road. Is this not incredible? And there's even places where you can you can walk across. You can walk safely across the road. It's amazing. It's craziness. Would I perhaps be missing the point of the beach? We are here, not for the road, but for that beautiful, beautiful sand in the background and that beautiful water. You hear that, that, those waves crashing? That's why we're at the beach. We're not at the beach to look at the road. So let's make sure when we describe the gospel, when we communicate the gospel, that we're not focusing on a thing, but a person, because there's a big difference. Right? So sometimes a communicator's lack of a thing can tell us a great deal about what they focus on. And if Paul only uses the word heaven two times in the entire letter, that should tell us something. So let's be careful about how much we talk about heaven, because the gospel is for right now right now for believers, right now for unbelievers. It's not just about tomorrow. It's for right now. All right, so let's go back to that particular word. So do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? So if your blank here is the second and last time that Paul uses the word heaven in Romans. That is to bring Christ down or to the, uh, the way this word is used in the New Testament is to moor a vessel, to 
to, to bring them down. Well, Christ isn't on the earth right now. He's done that, right? We've checked that box. In verse 7, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up. Well, he's he's already resurrected. He's done that too. So don't, don't be going backward in your faith, but be looking forward. So verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near or right at hand. Right at hand. You can reach out and grab it. Is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. That Because if you confess, and now he's going to get into the, the really tactical, what do we do with the gospel? So Paul has spent a lot of time explaining man's position relative to God, the impact of sin, what Jesus Christ does, where we are with that. Now he's going to say, here's what I need you to do. I need you to do no works. And this is good news. I need you to confess. And the word, the Greek word is homologeo. And it means to assent, to covenant, to acknowledge, to confess, to profess. Uh, it means to give thanks or to promise. So if you promise, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want you to write the Greek word here, and it's kurios. Kurios. K-Y-R-I-O-S. Kurios. K-Y-R-I-O-S. And this means supreme authority. It means Lord. It means master. This is the this is the Greek word for sir. It means somebody you respect, somebody that's in charge. So let's read this. Because if you homologeo, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, let's think about this word for a second. Now, many of you know that the modern day Jews that Jesus walked around with, they didn't all speak Hebrew. Many of them only spoke Greek because they'd been Hellenized. The, the Greeks had come in, the Romans had come in, and they had really taken away a substantial amount of the culture of the Jews. And the Jews did something really amazing. They translated the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. And, and we call this the Septuagint, uh, Septa, seven. Uh, and it's called the LXX, the 70, because there were 70 scholars that participated in this particular activity. And these scholars had a very significant job to do because they had to make the Old Testament Hebrew relevant for a New Testament, and they didn't know it was New Testament, for a mo then modern day Jew. So they chose words very specifically. And the word that they picked for God, for Lord, was this word kurios. So think about this. Paul's telling a Jew, you call Jesus kurios. You call Jesus Lord. You call Jesus God. So this, this is very clear for a Jew, because a Jew would have seen that the Father is Kyrios, and Paul's coming along and saying, Jesus is Lord. Okay, so that's one audience that he's speaking to. So the other audience that he's speaking to are the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, the Romans, governed the world at that time, and Caesar was in charge of Rome. And there was a way that you paid your, your basically your uh, taxes to Caesar. When you dropped your money into the collection, you would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar a curios. Okay. So to the Jews, Paul is saying, Jesus is God. And to the Gentiles, Paul is saying, not Caesar is Lord, Jesus is Lord. So this is a beautifully simple phrase that captures both the need of the Jews to rightly call Jesus God and to rightly capture the need of the Gentiles to call Jesus Lord.
It's beautiful. He sums it all up. So you confess with your mouth. Say this out loud so that others can hear. Say this out loud that Jesus is curious. And then there's more. But it's not works. It's not works. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe. Pisteo. This means to have faith in. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The word for dead is necros. It's not sleep. It's not he was not taking a nap. This was necros. He was dead. Dead, dead. If you ever seen the movie Pitch Black, uh, uh, the Vin Diesel movie, um, the where the, the necromancers, these people that come back from the it's just dead, dead. Completely 100 percent dead. Jesus was dead. He was raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be delivered. You will be preserved. You'll be made whole. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes, has faith in, and is justified. So I want you to look at your preposition sheet real quick. This is the word E-I-S, is. It means to or into. So if you look at your preposition sheet, this means you're being put into the circle. All right, so let's look at our text. The text says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. So belief puts you into the justification circle. This is how the connection between these two work. Does this make sense? So belief makes you justified. And with the mouth, one confesses, the homologeo, we say the same thing, we, can, we confess, we covenant with God, we promise, and is saved. The confession saves. The, say, the word for saved is soteria. It means to rescue or to save or deliver. Safety. It's a beautiful thing. It's the same word we see in Romans 1.16. Four, the scripture says, so he's going to quote Isaiah 28 here, everyone who believes, everyone believes in him will not be put to shame, will not be disgraced, will not be forced to blush or to be embarrassed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Again, we're, we're stepping on toes at this point. He's saying Jew, Greek, no difference. Jesus levels that playing field. Jesus came for both. He came to seek and to save, that's what were his. And when his didn't listen to the message, he went to the Gentiles also. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches or becoming wealthy or being made rich on all who call on him. And this is not necessarily, uh, it's certainly not physical monetary riches. This is the richness of relationship with God. So verse 13, for Joel, for uh, this is Joel 3, 5. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think Jay Arnold's table had this verse last week. And we looked and we saw that this salvation by calling out on the name of the Lord is an Old Testament concept, right? We saw this in Abraham. Abraham had faith in the Lord. And Paul comes and he stretches that word Lord and he encapsulates Jesus Christ in that term Lord to say, look, Jesus is Lord. The Messiah came. He, is, he was here. Believe in him. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So then verse 14. How then will they call on him? Or will they appeal or invoke on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on whom they've never heard? The, the word is, listen, just a, uh, akuo. Uh, it's where we get our English word acoustics. Uh, how do they believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, saying the words to proclaim, to to preach, to herald. And how are they to herald or to preach unless they are sent? The Greek word here is apostello, where we get our word apostles, to be sent, to be commissioned, to go and to do, uh, to go set at liberty. 
as it is written, he's going to quote Isaiah 52 here, how beautiful or how timely or how at the exact right season are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if you think back to your salvation, how beautiful was the timing of that salvation? That the message of the gospel came at a moment where you were receptive and God took that message and he made it effective in your heart and you became a believer. You became a Christian. And those are beautiful things. So how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? But they have not all obeyed. You know, Paul doesn't let us go too long on this everybody's in concept because that's not what he's preaching. Lest, lest we misunderstand Paul and think that everybody's saved, but not all have obeyed the gospel, right? And what is the obedience of the gospel? Repentance and faith, right? Repentance and confession to, to turn and say the same thing about your sin by turning away from it that God did and uh, confessing that Jesus Christ and believing that Jesus Christ is, is Lord and, raised, and God has raised him from the dead. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, is Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through, dia, through the word of Christ. See, I don't care exactly how you hear about Jesus, but you've got to hear about Jesus to be saved. There's not something else that salvation goes through. You can hear about Jesus through a song, through a preacher, through a, the Bible itself, through a tract, through a variety of methods. But if you want to be saved, you have to go through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice, their uh, thongos, their uh, P-H-T-H-O-N-G-O-S. Uh, there's an English word that means diphthong, and it's the, the sounds and the words that come out of our mouths, the sounds themselves, and this is the, a very similar word in Greek. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the uttermost parts of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? Did they not understand? Because he's going to go back to Moses, right? He's going to go back to Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy 32. He says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Because God's calling out to the Israelites, saying, I'm going to make you a nation. And Moses says, I'm going to make you those jealous of those who are not a nation, who are not an ethnos. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. We've probably all experienced this before. Somebody that, or some group that we understand fully is foolish, has made us angry. And God has a way of bringing things into our lives that confront us very clearly to show us our need for Him. And that's what He was doing with His children in the Old Testament. Verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold, or ventures plainly, and, and perhaps you've heard somebody uh, describe someone's conversation is that's just plain talk. Well, that's what Paul's talking about Isaiah here. It's just we're, we're plain talk. So bold as to say in Isaiah 65, 1, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And you're thinking, well, that, like, how, how, do, you, how do you come to God if, if, if you're not seeking him? It's because this is what God does. God relentlessly seeks out those who were not his. He chases them down with his love. And he wins. And it's beautiful. So when Israel turned their back on God, God sought out Gentiles. This is good for us because we're in that group. So I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself or manifested openly to those who did not ask for me. The word for ask for me is to demand or desire to question. We, we weren't asking a lot of questions about God. 
He sought us. And this is a beautiful thing. He says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out or stretched out my hand. And I don't think you can see my hands uh, in the video screen right now. But it's literally to, to fly out. Like his, his arms have been flung out. All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now this word disobedient is willful disobedient, perverse disobedience. This is uh, complete and opposite of I, I am wanting to obey. And this contrary means to dispute, to refuse, to answer, to contradict, to deny. This is, this is that person that you are talking to and they cannot be convinced by facts. Their mind is completely and totally made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. We've all experienced people like this before, right? So this idea, God's hands are stretched out wide, waiting for those disobedient and contrary people. And you want to know something? That's us. We're the disobedient and contrary people. We're the ones that looked at the facts of the gospel and said, no thanks, don't confuse me with that. That's not for me. I'm a good person. I don't need that. And you know what God does? All day long. All day long. All day long. And it's stunningly beautiful. And I can't think of a better picture of what actually happened on the cross than for hours and hours that day, Jesus stretching out his hands and saying, this is for the disobedient and the contrary people. So, what's the point? Well, the basic point of this whole text is that salvation is for all peoples. All. The gospel message is for everybody. And lest we forget this, we need to be reminded often. So that's the point. What do we do with that? Well, share with all people. <coughs> the Jews saw the Gentiles as despised. And Paul's talking to the Jews here. And he's telling the Jews, the, the gospel is for the Gentiles. So maybe this is an opportunity for us to pause for just a second and to think, who in my life do I despise? Who do I look down on? Who, when I see out in the community, out in the world, do I look at and go, no, no, I'm not like them. I'm better than them. And maybe we don't say those words out loud, but, but we certainly think these thoughts. That's who the gospel's for. So how about we share that message with them? Because that's who the gospel is for. So salvation's for all peoples. Share with all peoples. Number two on the application, Paul is clear about the expected response to the gospel. So I'm going to give you a Bible study tip. And this is something that's taken me a very long time. A guy named Jared Wilson he used to be a pastor in Vermont. He's a, um, a creative director out at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary now. And he's, he said something like this for several years, and I hadn't really wrapped my head around it. But uh, I think the, the, the nugget of truth here is that where, where Scripture is clear and passionate, then we are to be clear and passionate. But where Scripture is not as clear and is a bit dispassionate, let's not be jerks. Okay? So let's not, let's not take something that is, well, I'm not 100% sure what the Bible says about that. It, it kind of leans one direction, so maybe just lean. Maybe not take out a hammer and beat people over the head with that because it's just leaning in one direction. right? So Paul is very clear, though, about the expected response to the gospel. So when we share the gospel, let's be very clear about the expected response. I want to call people to repentance, and I want to call people to faith. So that's the personalization. Be clear with the expected response to the gospel. And then number three, heaven is not the end goal of the gospel. Somebody shout out what the blank is. 
Who's the end, the goal of the gospel? Come on. God is. God is the end, the goal of the gospel. So this is for me. This is for Jim. Blank number three on the personalized is for me. Stop emphasizing heaven over God. I think this might be a case where we value the creation over the creator. Because heaven is something that God created. But God's always been. And he always will be. And the right relationship with him is the end goal of the gospel. So I hope this has been uh, beneficial. I hope this has been helpful. Um, hopefully my profuse sweating today uh, will demonstrate to some of you that I am in fact capable of being outside for more than five minutes at a time. Uh, and no sneezing. So the allergy is are great down here. Appreciate your prayers. Next week's text is the remnant of Israel. So we're going to jump into chapter 11, do the first 10 verses of chapter 11. Uh, our homework uh, is the same as it has been each week. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Stare at the text, talk to other believers, and then jump into the tools. So uh, the links should be there at the bottom of your handout. Uh, and any feedback that you have about the lesson, please send to me. There should be a weekly update on your table. So take a minute, uh, pray over those prayer requests. When you have finished praying over those prayer requests, then you are dismissed. Uh, please, please, please be out of the room by about 10 till. Uh, so you can go into the sanctuary and welcome those whom need welcoming and greet those who should be greeted. And uh, I miss you guys, and I'm looking forward to be back with you next week. So thanks so much, and I'll see you next week.